Let's open our Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. It's always important when we study Scripture to see ourselves in it and to, to have an understanding that even a passage like 2 Chronicles 25, which was written thousands of years ago, it's still every bit as relevant now as it was then. And when we can see ourselves in Scripture, when we can understand uh, that this applies to us and is about us and describes our tendencies and our desires, uh, that, that's where the Word becomes living and active. So many people, when they read the Scripture, it, it doesn't jump out at them. And I've had people say over the years, how do you get so much out of the Scripture? Like, when I read it, it's just nothing there. Well, you've got to infuse yourself into it. You've got to see yourself in the people and, and in what they do and the attitudes that they carry. So we're going to look at a king this morning whose uh, life represents really a lot uh, of where people are spiritually. This king really is a, is a good picture of where many people are spiritually in the world this morning and even in the American church. And his approach uh, to the Lord and the choices that he makes really uh, reveal his heart. Now, the, man's, the king's name is, is Amaziah. And he was like so many other kings of Judah and Israel. He was one of the kings of Judah. Some of the kings of Judah, which were the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, where Jerusalem was. Some of those kings, when you look at the history of the kings, were good. About half were good and half were bad. When you look at the kings of Israel, which is the northern ten tribes, every king of Israel was bad. So out of the, I think it's 39 or 40 kings of Israel and Judah, there were only about maybe uh, 7 to 10 who were really good, consistently good. Amaziah is like so many of the kings of Israel and Judah in that he knew the truth he had some understanding of God. He had some desire for God, for God. And the Lord really gave him every opportunity to, to follow God and be blessed by God. But Amaziah, when he started okay, he didn't finish well. Because he didn't want to commit fully to the Lord. And that's why this is so, uh, so descriptive of where so many people are with God this morning, even within the evangelical church, because they know God, they know about God, they know it's probably right to follow God, they desire the things that God will do for them. But when it comes time to really commit their lives with their whole heart, they fall back. And that's who Amaziah was. Look at what verses 1 and 2 tell us. We'll kind of take it in sections this morning. It says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet, I hate that word, yet not with a whole heart. In other words, he wasn't really serious at the end of the day about the Lord. He was religious. He said the right things. He did some of the right things. But it wasn't who he was. Spirituality, following Christ, knowing the Lord, living for the Lord, being a disciple of Christ, isn't just about knowing about God. It's not just about saying and doing some of the right things. It has to be our whole life. 
It has to encompass every aspect of our life, every shred of our life, every moment of our life has to be lived for the Lord. And for Amaziah, that just didn't take. His zeal wasn't authentic. It was situational. Most of the time, he was kind of spiritually cool and spiritually indifferent for the Lord. And, and it worked for him when it was convenient and when conviction didn't ask too much. But when push came to shove, he just wasn't there. Now, sadly, I think that describes a lot of people in the world. And as I look around and read articles and talk to other pastors, I think it describes a great and growing number of people in the evangelical church. Because on one hand, when you look at verse 2, Amaziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's a great description. I hope that describes every single one of us, that we did what's right in the sight of the Lord. But then there's that second part that's kind of disturbing where it says, but not wholeheartedly. See, Amaziah had watched the example of his father, Joash. And Joash had done wrong. He had abandoned God. He had led the nation to, to move away from God. He had brought in false gods and put them in the temple. And he had built uh, uh, altars and idols out in the countryside. He had built Asherah poles, which were places of sexual deviance because they were a, a, a symbol of the Canaanite goddess. So Joash led him in the wrong way. And Amaziah, as he's growing up and watching his father, the king, and watching how he's leading the nation, looks at that and he starts to learn. He sees moral compromise and he sees moral decline. And, and that gets into his heart. See, his parents, everything we do, our kids are watching. They're not going to be convinced by us just walking into church and holding our Bible. That, that's wonderful and you should and I, I'm glad you do. But, but that's not what's going to, to show them that our convictions have taken hold and, and rule our lives. They're going to watch what we do when we're cut off in traffic. I'm guilty of that one. They're going to watch how we talk to our spouse. They're going to watch how we discipline them. They're going to watch what we do in our private time. They're going to watch what we're watching. They're going to look at how much time we spend on our phone not talking to them. They're going to look at all those things. And then at the end of the day, they're really going to say is the conviction that my parent talks about and shows, is that real 24-7? We have a great responsibility, and I've touched on this a couple times the last few weeks. We have a great responsibility to our kids to train them up in the way that they should go because as they get older, they are going to model our behavior. And mostly, most of the time, they're going to share our convictions. So if our convictions are weak, guess what their convictions are going to be? If we love the Lord and we serve the Lord and we talk about the Lord and we call on the Lord and we give to the Lord, guess what they're going to do? Studies show that if we do that, that, that almost always the child's going to follow that. And at some point, God's going to challenge them and their faith's going to become their own. Just like mine did when I was a sophomore in college. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor. I've been in more churches than I can count. I've been in more church services than I can count. I've sang more hymns, I would bet, than probably anybody in this room. But it wasn't until my sophomore year in college where God grabbed a hold of me and said, it's got to be your faith. And because my parents had set such a strong groundwork and such a great example of loving the Lord, that was easy. But if we're not doing that, what is going to happen to our kids? 
Amaziah looks at his dad, Joash, and he doesn't see that. So he learns compromise, and he learns not following the word of God. So as it comes time, look at the text, for him to become now the, the leader of the country, it says that he's double-minded. He, he kind of likes the Lord, but at the end of the day, he really doesn't. And the Bible says a double-minded man is what? It's unstable in all his ways. The Lord wants all or nothing. And too many times we fall into lukewarm. And I love the definition that Francis Chan gives in the book Crazy Love. If you've never read that book, I encourage you to get it. But he says lukewarm doesn't just mean holding the middle ground, spiritually trying to walk the line between good and evil. He says good warm, lukewarm is actually a conscious and purposeful decision to not commit fully to the Lord. It changes it, doesn't it? We talk about straddling the line, one foot in the world, one foot with the Lord. But, but he says it's not really that. If, if we decide to be lukewarm, what we're saying is, I do not want to fully commit. I'm deciding that I'm not going to give my life that way. And that's why Revelation says God spits the lukewarm out. He can't stand that. Now, Amaziah's actions, if you look back at verses 3, 4, and 5, which we haven't read, they provide proof that his heart's wrong and that he's kind of misaligned with God. In verses 3 and 4, he tries to get revenge against his father's enemies, but he contradicts the word of God in doing that. And in verse 5, he takes a census, which typically isn't a good thing, and he counts 300,000 troops, which seems great, but it's one quarter of how many Jehoshaphat had had just 50 years before. See, sin weakens people, and sin weakens nations. And when sin weakens people and when sin weakens nations, it leads to discouragement and kind of diminished power. When a nation's weak, when we were in the 80s, if you remember back that far, the nation was strong. We were a superpower. There was hope. There was patriotism. There was confidence. You look at the nation now, it doesn't matter who you're voting for. There, that doesn't exist. There's no confidence. There's no hope. There's no enthusiasm. And that's what happened in Judah. Amaziah's nation starts to kind of get despondent and discouraged because his father led them wrong. And now Amaziah could come along and break the cycle and be a strong spiritual leader, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he kind of yields and he starts to count his army. And then he decides, I think I'm going to go to war. Well, he has no directive from the Lord to do that. He doesn't have anybody he really needs to attack. He just decides that he's bored and he's going to fight. When you're in fear and when you're struggling, when you're not walking with the Lord, you're going to make bad decisions. And that's what Amaziah does. He calls to Israel, who are their enemies, and he says, I want to buy some soldiers from you guys. So he buys, you see this in the text, he buys 100,000 extra soldiers. He's setting himself up for failure because he has no perspective. He doesn't think about all the times that God has used an under, uh, underestimated, a, a smaller army, a smaller group of people to accomplish the will of God. And they did it because they had God's hand on them. He doesn't think about that. He doesn't think about the times when, when Gideon only had 300 men to fight the battle. Or when David had his mighty men and they took on Saul. Or when Israel marched around Jericho and the walls fell in. He doesn't think about those times. He doesn't say, let's go to the Lord at this point and ask God to help us because we're undermanned. Instead, he thinks by stocking up that God will help them. 
Listen, the number of resources that you and I have don't matter if the Lord's on our side. And the opposite is true. It doesn't matter how much abundance you have and how many things you can look at and say, I've got human resources coming out my ears, and I am so equipped, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do great things for God. If God's not on your side, if you haven't called on him and asked him for help, it's a losing battle. I don't care how much resources you have. There are people that are wealthy that don't do anything with it because they're not serving the Lord. They could be blessing other people. There are other people that have so little, and they say, well, I can only give so much. And God says, listen, it's not the amount, it's the heart. That's why he points out the widow who brings just a little coin and drops it in very humbly and privately. And all the other people are walking up. Look at my gift. I'm so wonderful. I have abundance. I'm giving to God. God says their heart's not in it. Her heart, that's what I'm looking for. How you serve this week, whether you're sitting on the floor talking to a runny-nosed kid about God, whether you're baking cookies to be served during the day, whether you're out sweating in the heat running games, or whether you're sitting at home saying, God, bring kids to this VBS so you will be magnified and so their eternal lives would be changed. Listen, everything is serving the Lord if your heart's right. And that's what God's looking for. Amaziah doesn't have that kind of thought in his heart. So he grabs these 100,000 people and he tries to buy them out, and it's just a disastrous decision. But God's gracious. Look at verses 7 to 10. But a man of God came to Amaziah saying, King, don't let the army of Israel go with you. For the Lord's not with Israel, nor with any of the sons of Ephraim. But if you do go, do it. Be strong for the battle. You're going to need to. He's a little sarcastic here. Because God's going to bring you down before the enemy. For God has the power to help, and he has the power to bring down. Now, if somebody came to you, just a little aside, somebody came to you and said, don't do what you're about to do, because if you do, God's going to bring you down. What would be your next response? Would you go, I'm doing it. Or would you change the subject, which is what Amaziah does? He doesn't fall on his face and go, oh, man of God, uh, wow, all right, what do I do? I need to repent. I need to get on my face. I, I, I'm, not go I'm not going forward because God said don't go forward. Look at the question he asks. But what do we do with the money, the hundred talents, that, that we've given to the troops of Israel? In other words, his first question after the man of God says, do not go forward because God's going to bring you down. His first question is, well, what about all the money I paid them? His heart's not right. The man of God answered, oh, I love this sentence. Praise the Lord for this. The Lord has much more to give you than this. Amaziah finally does the right thing. This will be the last time he does the right thing. Then Amaziah dismissed them, the troops which came to him, Ephraim, to go home. So their anger burned against Judah, and they returned home in fierce anger. We'll get to that in a minute. Here comes the man of God, and he gives Amaziah a very scary message. He says, the Lord is not with Israel. You've called up these other troops from this other nation. They're not your friends. God's not honored in this. You're trying to buy your way to success. And God's not going to bless that because God is not with Israel. And if God's not with Israel and you're aligned with Israel, guess what? God's not with you. 
When we align ourselves with the things that are not of the Lord, guess what? We're taking blessing that God wants to put on us away, and we're defying God. Here, I'm going to do this, and let's see what you do. God's formula, if you can forgive that word, it's the wrong word. God, God's uh, answer is very straightforward. You serve me, I'll bless you. You oppose me, I'll discipline you. So he says to Amaziah, you want to go forward? Go ahead. Knock yourself out. Guess what? You're going to get knocked down by God. Because God has the power to build up and God has the power to tear down. If you're on his side, he'll build you up. If you're against him, he'll tear you down. He'll wear you out. Amaziah, you better get your act together here. Now Amaziah is getting a clear word from the Lord. And when we get a clear word from the Lord, we should never, ever ignore it. Now maybe you don't have a prophet. I, don't, I haven't had a prophet show up at my door recently, knocking on the door. Hey, I'm a, I'm a man of the Lord. I got, I got a message for you. But God does speak to us, right? He speaks to us through his word, which is so clear. And he speaks to us through his spirit, if we'll listen. He speaks to us through spiritually mature friends and believers who come along and say, I know you didn't ask, but let me give you a little wise counsel here. You're not, you're not doing the right thing. Now, if we look at that and we go, well, that's great counsel, and yeah, I should change. And then we go right back to what we were doing before. What are we saying about our relationship with the Lord? The other way God will speak to us. Listen now, is if we say, Lord, show me. Show me what is right. And then we can do self-evaluation. Lord, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? I need to look at the consequences. I always tell people when I counsel them, where's the end game in what you're doing? Where is this headed? If you stay on this path, use your logic now. Where, where is this going to take you? If that's going to take you to a place that's not honoring the Lord and is going to cause destruction, you need to take an exit and you need to get off that path. See, we need to self-evaluate and say, is the Lord with me right now? Am I walking in his presence? Is God honored? Is God blessing what I'm doing? Is he blessing the choices that I'm making? Is he blessing the people that I'm with right now? Or am I out of fellowship? Friday night I had the opportunity um, to, to go to the Brewers game with my buddies from college. I hadn't seen, my, we hadn't all been together uh, for any length of time in about 20 years. And they drove up from Illinois, and we went to the game together. And it was just, it was so wonderful to see them. And, and I thought we'd kind of fall back into college mode, you know, where you're goofy and telling jokes and all that kind of stuff. And, and within two minutes of being in the car driving out KR, we were in an extremely deep spiritual conversation. I was like, wow, we have grown up, haven't we? And one of the things we talked about throughout the whole evening that we were at the game was, was recognizing God's discipline. Recognizing when God is working in our lives in a way that is trying to dissuade us from following the path that we're on. And what has discouraged me over the years of ministry is, is seeing people who are getting the warnings, and I've been this way sometimes, who, who get the warnings and hear the word of the Lord, but they don't take it seriously or they just ignore it. And they continue down a path of destruction, and then they wonder why God's not helping them. 
We need to recognize, listen now, we need to recognize when the Lord's hand is on us and when the Lord's hand has been removed from us. I thought of an illustration last night as I was finishing up uh, of a time when, when Jacob and Annie were young. Matthew wasn't even born yet. And we were at Barnes & Noble. They were probably like five and three. And of course, when you've got kids who are five and three, what do you do? You hold their hands, right? You're walking through a busy parking lot. You, you, here, grab my hand. So they were kind of being goofy and silly like little kids do. And, and I was walking with them, and they kind of ran ahead and got to the curb. And I thought, I'm just going to let them, I'm going to see what happens here. And they looked back at me kind of like, what's the deal here? Why aren't you holding our hands? What I was trying to do was to reinforce to them, you never want to be running out without my hand on you. Now, spiritually apply this. We shouldn't want to ever take one step where the Lord's hand is not with us. You say, come on now, Paul, I'm an adult, and I can do my own thing, and I'm successful. That's wonderful. Good for you. But you know what? You better never take a step without the Lord's hand on you. And you think, well, that's childish. Good, it's childish. That's why we raise our hands and we sing. We don't raise our hands because we want people, hey, look at me, I'm waving my hands. This is a symbol. It hit me one day when I got my kid out of the crib. It hit me. This is a symbol of, Lord, hold me, help me. Guide me, direct me, take care of me. Not one step this week without the Lord's blessing. Not one step this week without the Lord's hand. And if you're living in a way, let me challenge you a little bit. If you're living in a way where there's no way God's hand is going to be on you or bless you, then you better get off that path right now. Amaziah wouldn't have had the problems he had. He wouldn't have had this issue where the man of God had to come to him and say, you're making a mistake, and then he's got to dismiss the troops. And I'm telling you, once he dismisses the troops, the troops are ticked off because they got their pay, but they wanted the spoils of war. They wanted to rumble. They wanted to fight. And Amaziah says, oh, I'm sorry. Here's your paycheck, but go home. And they're like, no, 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 no. We had a battle to fight. We were ready to plunder. We, we want to be like pirates and Vikings. We want to go and get the spoils of war now you're sending us home and they're so ticked off that on their way back to home they plunder some of the cities of judah amaziah didn't have to be in that situation and the nation didn't have to be in this situation if he had just in the first place sought the lord and said is this right but he's more worried about losing the cash that he spent Oh, I gave him 100 talents. What am I going to do? What about the money? You know, Jesus says, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Who cares what we have at the end of our life? Because nothing's going in the coffin but our bodies. And our soul will already be gone. What does it profit us to gain the whole world? We should be loving the Lord and wanting what the Lord wants. So in your life and in my life, we need to be asking, does the Lord endorse what I'm doing right now? Does he endorse my behavior? Does the Spirit of God teach that this is what a holy person does and what a holy person says and who a holy person hangs out? Is, is that what the Bible teaches? Does, does God endorse this right now or is this worthless? Look back at the text. Let's try to draw it a close. Look at verse 9. That's what the prophet says here. Amaziah is like, where's the, what, what about the money? I put out money. There's not a lot of money. 
In fact, you go back a couple of chapters, um, the grandson of Joash was given 100 talents as a present and a birthday. So 100 talents, nothing. He's given these troops 100 talents. And the man of God says to him, listen, stop worrying about the money because, and I love this sentence, look at it, it's verse 9. He says, the Lord has much more to give you than this. In other words, there's a comparison between the value of the Lord's good and perfect gifts and the world's temporary, meaningless garbage. How much do we miss out on what the Lord wants to do because our values and our desires and our priorities are in the wrong place. God says there's a storehouse up in heaven and I'm just, I'm waiting to open it up. I'm waiting to rain down blessing on you. I'm not being prosperity theology here. This is what scripture says. God says I have a storehouse. I'm ready to pour it out. I'm ready to rain blessing on you if you will just love me and serve me and give to me. The storehouse is full but the doors are shut because you're not living that way. God wants to this week overwhelm this church with children. God wants to pack this place full. Do you think he wants us to have 12 children? Or do you think he wants us to have 200? And you say, well, you're talking about numbers. No, I don't care about numbers. I don't care if it's 12 or 200. Honestly, I really don't. But I want it to be 200 because that's 200 kids who are going to hear about the Lord. God wants to fill this place. He wants to overwhelm us with blessing. He wants us to be panicking tomorrow morning because we got 30 people, but 30 people's not enough. And we need to call in some reinforcements. And we're going to need some extra snacks. And how are we going to teach all these kids at once? That's what he wants to do. He wants to overwhelm us with help and with blessing. And he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Not because we deserve it, but because he's gracious. So how are we living? We have to keep trusting him fully to provide. We have to set our hearts and minds on the things above, not the things of the world. Amaziah wasn't doing that. He's dissatisfied. He's falling into self-sufficiency. He's focused on the wrong things. And God reminds him and reminds us, the Lord wants to do so much more. You're quibbling about 100 talents. You're quibbling about a little bit of cash. Amaziah, get your act together. Listen now, God wants to do so much more. And he does. Look at it, verses 11 and 12. Once he sends the truth home, uh, the troops home, God gives him victory. He's gracious to him. He says, I'm going to give you success. I'm going to give you what you were hoping for. So they capture people and they kill some people and they have a beautiful success as an army doing it the way the Lord wants to do it. Now you look at that and you go, all right. Well, now Amazon probably gets it. At this point, he realizes he made a mistake. He was on the wrong path. God sent him a warning and a word and he came forward and, and, and everything's good, right? Nope. From this point on, from verse 11 on, the rest of Amaziah's life is a mistake. Look at what he does. First of all, he brings back idols, and he sets them up, and he worships them. What a dumb move. What a dumb move. It's the delusion that sin perpetuates. He brings back the gods of the nation he just defeated, and he worships them. Now, now that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
It, it'd be like, well, I can't even draw. I'm not even going to draw the parallel. It's not even worth it. You get it, right? Not if you get it. He defeats the nation. Then he says, let's worship their gods. Well, if their gods were so wonderful, why didn't they give the other nation victory over you? Totally ignores God, brings back the idols, and he starts to worship them. Now, we have these types of idols in our lives. Things we value, things we prioritize, things we give our time and money to instead of giving it to the Lord. Things that take precedent over serving God. Things that take precedent over being in His presence. Things that take precedent over being with His congregation. Things that take precedent over writing a check to the work of the Lord. I'm not hitting you up for money or for time or for anything else. This is not a guilt trip this morning. This is what do we do to show that we love God. Jesus, it is you. Jesus, it is you. I lift my hands. I bring my song. All right, we sang that. That's wonderful. But is that the reality? Is that how we live? And if it is, it will show in every single aspect of our lives. And if we just will stop and evaluate the things that we value, the things that we spend our money on, the things that we spend our time doing, we will be able to assess how much am I honoring the Lord and how much am I offending the Lord. God disciplines Amaziah because he's a jealous God. God will not be mocked if he sees people purposely devaluing him, he will not just let that go and say, oh, well, you know, they're frail and they're human, and I, I guess we'll just hope for the best. No, he will discipline that, and that's exactly what he does with Amaziah. At the same time, God is gracious. He answers prayers. He helps us. He, he, he gives us victory. He gives us strength. He sustains us. He leads us by his spirit. So, so how are we going to repay him? I struggled with that word as I was studying, but I think it's the right word. For all that God does for us, how are we going to repay him? I'm not talking works theology. I'm saying how do we show our gratitude to him? Do, do, do we replace him with other things? Do we ignore and neglect his word? Do, do, do we say, well... I know the word says this, but, you know, it was written 5,000 years ago, and it doesn't really apply to me, and it's a different culture. It's 2016, and I have liberty, and, and you know, I, I think I'll just, I think I'm going to take the sections I like and not take the sections I don't like. Do we trust him with everything? Are we completely confident that God's leading us and God's helping us? Do, do we refuse to sacrifice? You say, well, well, that's kind of unfair. It's a little harsh for a, for a hot July morning. L let me ask you a couple questions that the Lord really impressed on my heart, and these are for me as much as anybody else in the room. When was the last time you gave so much time to the Lord that the rest of your schedule suffered? When was the last time you gave so much money to the Lord that you didn't know how you're going to pay your bills, but you were going to trust him that he'd provide? When was the last time you praised him so freely and so openly that you knew other people were probably going to look at you, but that didn't matter to you because you had to praise your Lord? When was the last time? You say, well, Paul, come on. You're, no, I'm not being harsh. This is what being a disciple means. When was the last time our praise was just so unashamed and our giving was so unfettered and our service was so sacrificial 
and our time in the Word just forget TV. I just got to get in the Word. I got I to gotta study. I got to know God's Word. I got to know what the Lord is teaching me. When was the last time we sat with the Lord and just listened? No phone, no iPad, no computer, no, no anything. Just time before the Lord saying, Lord, I just want to listen to you. I'm not coming with requests this morning. I'm not going to tell you what I need. I'm not going to tell you what I want. I'm not going to complain to you. I'm just going to listen. You say, I'm so busy. And I would say, there's got to be a time in the 24 hours. Sitting before the Lord. Maybe it's even while you're driving. Turn off the radio. Turn off talk radio. It's going to give you a headache. Turn off the music. I know it's good, but just, just, just listen to the Lord as you drive. That's what being a disciple means. Quickly, Amaziah first brings back idols. Second, he doesn't repent. The prophet comes to him and says, oh, you made a mistake. Look at it, verse 14. Amaziah came from slaughtering the Edomites. He brought the gods of the sons of Seir, set them up as his gods, bowed down before them, and burned incense to them. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people who have not delivered their own people from your hand? As he was talking to him, now you would hope again that Amaziah is going to have the right response, right? No, he does not. Have we appointed you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? In other words, who do you think you are? How dare you come in here to my throne and say to me, you better stop. How dare you? I haven't made you a royal counselor. The, the prophet's not saying, I want to be a counselor to the king. He's saying, God's ticked off at you and you better watch out. And Amaziah completely misses it. So look at the next sentence. The prophet stopped and said, I know that God's plan to destroy you because you've done this and you haven't listened to my counsel. The audacity of Amaziah's heart here. He's not just part way serving the Lord at this point. He's cold hearted. This is a dangerous place to be where conviction isn't changing behavior anymore. And he's told that the Lord's planning to destroy him. But even after the third warning, he doesn't get it. There's no fear and there's no repentance. So look at what he does finally. He turns his back and he goes back to his enemy and he says, let's have a fight. He calls up the king of Israel and says, I think it's time for a battle. Let's do this. Now, it is absolutely fascinating how the king of Israel responds. King of Israel was not a believer. He was a wicked man. But look at what he says to Amaziah. It's in verse 18. He says, the thorn bush which was in Lebanon sent to the cedar which was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. You've said, behold, you defeated Edom, and your heart has become proud and boasting. Now stay at home. Why do you want to provoke trouble so that you will fall and Judah with you? This is so fascinating. A wicked man actually has the discernment to say to Amaziah, why are you trying to poke a bear that's going to maul you? Amaziah, listen to yourself. You don't want this fight because you've become proud in your heart. It's not that you have a weak army or a weak tactician. You, you have become proud. You're poking Israel. Israel's going to defeat you. And it's not because we're better. It's because we're proud. And guess what? You're going to take the nation down with you. Pride is such 
a powerful force and we underestimate its presence and its influence, I think three of the most dangerous manifestations of pride are spiritual complacency, spiritual assumption, and spiritual coldness. And Amaziah has all three. He's spiritually complacent because he's committed halfway spiritually. He doesn't seek the Lord. He's, he's assuming that, that he's just going to defeat everybody in his path. He thinks he can ignore God's word and God's warnings, and he's cold. He rebukes the prophet. He ignores the word of God, and he just doesn't listen to truth. So look at verse 20, and let's conclude. In verse 20, it says, Amaziah wouldn't listen. For it was from God that he might deliver him into the hand of Joash, the king of Israel, because they sought the gods of Edom. There's an unusual phrase there. It was from the Lord. Okay, so what we're hearing is that God warned Amaziah. Amaziah ignored it. So God is going to take Amaziah into battle, and he's going to defeat him. That, that was God's purpose. Now you say, all right, what's going on here? Is, is God punking Amaziah, or, or, or is God just really not gracious? Does this kind of prove that God doesn't love us and that God's not gracious, and he just wants to, 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 to harm us? Well, if God's not gracious... He certainly wouldn't have allowed Amaziah's success in the first place, and he wouldn't have helped him, and he wouldn't have given him victory, and he wouldn't have sent a prophet with three warnings about his idolatry. See, so many people this morning are, are looking for any excuse, any excuse to deny and reject God. They say he's unloving. They say he's unfair. They say he doesn't, isn't understanding. They say that he doesn't have a right to judge anyone. But listen, I believe God has been more than patient with us. When you look at Western Europe, when you look at Germany this morning, and what they've gone through this week, that is the United States in five to ten years. It may even be less. And I, I was burdened last night, and the Lord put on my heart about our country. How long will the Lord hold his hand back from disciplining us. And when we look at all that's going on in the world, here's what sobers and saddens me. I look at that and I say, is the church of Jesus Christ any closer to revival? Is there even a hunger for revival? We're so busy, and please hear my next sentence because I am not being political. We are so busy debating whether an evangelical can vote for a man who has been married three times and is harsh and is arrogant. And yet we're not asking, what about our sin and our arrogance and our lack of prayer and our lack of spiritual maturation and our neglect of the word and our poor theology and our lack of revival? God is still patient, but I wonder... How much longer? It's a dangerous world. We're on a dangerous path. All the signs are there. The spiritual twilight is coming. The day is ending. What are we going to do in response? God gave Amaziah multiple opportunities to get his heart right. And when he didn't, the Lord acted. I've said many times to the pastor of this church, when God's going to discipline, it's better for you to jump ahead and self-discipline because once God gets involved, you have no say. 
It's better to discipline ourselves and to walk worthy of Christ so God doesn't have to continually discipline and warn and bring judgment and discipline and warn and bring judgment because if we walk with Christ, he's going to discipline us to refine us, not discipline us to correct us. Amaziah doesn't get the message. And I'm asking you this morning and I'm asking myself, God, speak to me too right now. Are there areas of your life that falls into that category where God keeps disciplining you and God keeps coming back and warning you and you continue to go forward and your heart's getting a little bit more hardened every day and you're becoming a little bit more callous to the correction and you're not getting the message and God is saying, I'm holding back my hand, but at some point I've got to act. If that's true of your life this morning, whether you're unsaved, whether you've never received Christ as your Savior, and you're sitting there and going, well, this makes sense. God loves me, and Christ died for me, but, but I'm not walking with him. Listen, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to cry out to the Lord and say, God, you've got to save me. I've got to turn from the sin. I am on a path to destruction and eternal death. You can do that right where you sit. I did it in 1974, Charlotte, North Carolina, on 4th Street, where God broke my heart. And I said, today is the day I've got to turn my life to Christ. And I've never been the same. You can do it right here, 1015 Four Mile Road in Racine, Wisconsin, right now at 1051. And your life will be changed forever. Forever. Because God is gracious. They go to battle Amaziah doesn't listen. Judah's beaten badly. Israel comes back, destroys Jerusalem, takes all the gold and silver out of the temple. Amaziah runs for 15 years and dies alone. Didn't have to be that way. He had every opportunity. God gave him every chance to walk with him. Today is a day of evaluation. I'm done. We're going to pray in 30 seconds. Today is a day of evaluation what do you value? That's what the word means. Evaluate means to examine what you value. So what are your values this morning? What do you place above all things? If it's the Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful. Keep walking on that path. But if it's anything else, you are short of what God wants.